Hey everyone, this is Flippant Finance. I'm Sam Mismore and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hey, how's it going? We also have Stella the cat here today as well. Today we are covering our first listener question. Why does the market move around so much when the Federal Reserve gives talks? Well, you've come to the right place. But before that, Fabian, kick the disclosure music. As always, this is a quick disclosure. None of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of, empo- of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And we are lazy, so we will have no duty to revise any information. So, with that, let's get to the question. Why does the market move around so much when someone from the Federal Reserve gives a talks or comments uh, to the public. I've got a guess. <laughs> so before I go on a rant, <laughs> what's your guess, Fabian? It's just people put too much faith into television. Television? Okay, that could be part of it. Part of it. Or, maybe. I mean, tell, I, I, and maybe I'm using the word television as like this broad scope of just like media. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so that's, I think people read into like headlines and clickbait too much. Okay, yeah, I think that's a little bit of it. Like there is a little bit of of headlines and things like that. So that that is that is part of it. Another part is is a little bit boring, which we'll which we'll get into. Uh, boring to some people, but uh, and fascinating to me. But like taking a step back, why does the Federal Reserve give talks and comments to the market? And so it effectively has three. Well, has two toll two tools. And one more mechanism to kind of talk and control uh, the market in a way. So it has two policy tools. So that is short, uh, setting short-term interest rates. So when you hear that the Fed might be raising rates, that's what it's talking about. It also can go out and, and buy assets in, in the open market. So that's um, buying treasuries, U.S. mortgages. It's the lender of last resort. So it has a lot of power and the ability to, to go out and do things in the, in the open market if they so deem. And then there's talking. They can go out and give talks and give their future expectations around uh, what they're going to do. And the talking part uh, didn't start until uh, 2008, actually. So there's two other things it did, short-term interest rates and uh, doing what, what's called just open market functions have been, been going on since like 1913 when the, when the Federal Reserve started. And those short-term interest rates and what they could do in the market kind of came to a halt in 2008 because interest rates were zero. They're already kind of doing a lot of things to support the market. So they started talking. And the official word for talking from by the Fed is just forward guidance. So they started talking and just like, this is what we're expecting. This is our future plan for interest rate and, and security purchases. And that was kind of like a new tool that they started to try and and where, used to try and where are these talks being like are, are these like televised talks are these like in print on the internet like where does one go to hear sure. these talks like how are people finding out about them yeah so the big ones are their monthly ish uh conference conferences so the the fed meets 
uh, about monthly. It's 10 times a year, I believe, off the top of my head. But they meet monthly. They have they do it for two days and they come out and give a press conference afterwards. And it's like, we we are seeing this. Unemployment's doing X, Y, Z. We are going to do uh, this with the interest rates, yada, yada. So you can go and, and see that. And they used to not really be like a big deal until... You know, 2008, the financial crisis, and they started giving more more talks. So some of them are live. Those are the official ones. And then a lot of the the Fed chair, who right now is Jerome Powell, and some of the ancillary people will go out and just say, uh, we expect interest rates to do this and yada, yada. So some of it's in print. Some of it is as conference and, and, and speakers and uh, a little bit of everywhere at this point. And so you'd see it on stuff. like C-SPAN or like Fox or CNN, like highlights maybe from some yeah, of that mm-hmm. press conference. Yeah, you'll definitely yeah. see the highlights okay. uh, nowadays, especially on CNBC. So forward guidance being relatively new has not always worked extremely well. As I'm sure everyone remembers, the taper tantrum of 2013. I'm sure you do, Faith. Oh, yes. I remember it very well. Yeah, Very well. Very well. <laughs> how, could, how could I forget yeah, the well, taper tantrum of 2013? It was, uh, well, I was new to the industry, so it was kind of a big deal uh, in my world because it was the first time Ben Bernanke came out with forward guidance. So, Ben Bernanke was the Fed chair at the time during 2008 and until Jerome Powell took over. Well, excuse me, until Janet Yellen took over and then Jerome Powell did. I forget when Bernanke stepped down. I believe it was 2014. But he came out giving their monthly committee meeting talk like we just talked about. And what he said was, in the future, the Fed is going to planning on slowing down and stopping its current asset purchase program. So there was a lot of asset purchases, another... They're going out buying things. It's called quantitative easing. It's one of the strategies Ben Bernanke... Uh, implemented to try and uh, stimulate the economy. And when he said he was going to slow that down and stop in 2013, he used the word taper. We were going to start tapering our asset purchases. So they hadn't done anything that day. You know, it's like in the future. So what was interesting, though, is that the Fed controls short-term interest rates, which we talked about earlier, and a lot of people are talking about lately, but it doesn't really have a good grasp on long-term interest rates. So you can see this in the uh, the U.S. Treasury 10-year yield. Market doesn't really control that. I, I, the Fed doesn't really control that. The market does. And so when Ben Bernanke came out, and we have this uh, in, in the show notes, but it shows the yield of the 10-year U.S. Treasury. So it's right around 1.5. So really low compared to where we are today. And the market went into a tizzy effectively when Ben Bernanke said this. So 1.5 and then a matter of, call it three-ish months, the yield doubled to 3%. So in bond world, a doubling of yields like that is like a big thing. And that's why they called it a tantrum. It was kind of like an overreaction to the market interpreting what Ben Bernanke was talking about in the future. So that's how we got the taper tantrum. And that was kind of a big deal for me. Because I, I was young, and when you're learning kind of investments, bonds are supposed to be kind of boring and safe. Well, the performance of bonds fell over about 5% in that short period. Which is kind of a, so if you're only earning like 1.5% on your bond a year, you know, it's not going to grow. just gets that 1.5%, and it goes down 5% in a matter of three months. You kind of like freak out. You're like, oh, my God, I thought this was safe. Um, so that's what was a big learning curve for me when I first started in the industry roughly around that time. That's like a big drop, right? 
Yes. Yes, it's a big drop for bonds. And what's interesting is the drop in bonds that is happening now is more than double that. Oh, wow. Uh, in a way. Yeah. So that was like a taper tantrum, taper tantrum was roughly like a three-month event. And then this year, bonds have just had this slow grind lower as interest rates have continued to be increased by the Fed. And, and the market fully appreciating that the Fed's commitment to fighting inflation is, is, is if I could say is one more time, is um, real. They're not going to back down type of thing. Right. So that kind of brings us to the, the current affairs, which I just mentioned, is uh, the Fed is no longer purchasing any bonds. So they were purchasing treasuries and, and mortgages to support those markets. So those are really important. You don't you want those functioning well. And we're continuing to raise interest rates, but we're about to stop soon. So a lot of like the forward guidance or talking is centered around when will the Fed stop raising rates effectively. And that's why over the last, call it six months, a lot of the market movements have been around, well, how far is the Fed going to go with the short-term interest rates? When will they stop? Are they serious? Will they blink with a market sell-off? So that's why when you get those headlines of like, Fed's going to raise rates at 0.75%. And if you're a finance person, you would say basis points to make Mm -hmm. you sound smarter. 75 basis points interest rate raise. Instead of just being a normal person and saying 0.75%. But it's it's a function of when will things stop from interest rate one. So like the market will be anticipating this. And you can see this in, in the futures market. And then Jerome Powell will come make a comment and be like, no, we're serious. We're going to keep raising rates. And then as interest rates rise, uh, the, the risk for recession increases type of things. So you kind of get this flywheel. So... When you come out and you, if you really want to read the Fed speeches, you can. It's linked in the show note if you Do really you want them? to. I read the last one. I don't read all of them. How many pages is that? Like, how much time are you uh, investing to read this? It's like seven minutes. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, his speeches aren't bad. And, like, you can read something so much quicker than you can listen to it. A little uh, pro tip. So, it doesn't take too long to really read it, but you kind of miss, like, maybe he's putting emphasis on something. But when you go in to read the speeches, they don't like specifically tell you what they're going to do if unemployment is at 3.7 and wages are growing at 5% and are the the opposite of that. So you kind of have to infer what they will do with new data. They don't come out and uh, explicitly say, if XYZ happens, we are going to do this. They're kind of like, well, you know, we'll, we'll be data dependent and we'll look at it. And they... Uh, they try to be like, we're, we're serious. We're going to keep raising interest rates until inflation comes down. But we're going to stop. But we're not going to tell you when we're going to stop. So that's kind of like why, why the market's moving around a lot. Because it's trying to guess what the Fed's going to do. Would and it then, move around even more if they were to give a definitive statement like that? I'm not sure. That's a great question. Yeah, I'm not sure it would change too much. So I'm not saying that the Fed's doing a bad job of it. It's just like, it's a really hard thing to actually say we're going to explicitly do X, Y, Z if this happens because, you know, we live in a probabilistic world where anything and everything can happen. So it's hard to lay out three scenarios because they those three, the likelihood of them specifically happening is hard. So I don't blame them for not being 
explicit, but then it just opens all these speeches and stuff open to interpretation by the market. And that's why Jerome Powell over the last six months has routinely come out and just been like, no, we're serious. We're going to keep raising rates. No, you idiots, market participants, we're serious. We're going to keep raising rates. But what we get is like a flywheel because they're looking at data to make their decisions. And we we all get the same data effectively. And they're looking at unemployment. They're looking at wages. They're looking at the labor market. And their current theory on inflation, which you could you could slightly argue with, is wage growth is too high. So effectively, the labor market's doing too good, and that's flowing back into inflation. And then inflation is, is ultimately not a good thing. My, my argument is increasing inflation is not a good thing. But if we just had inflation that was the same at 4% and stayed the same, think things would be okay like things would moderate around that but if you have inflation that continues to increase at a a higher rate that's the issue that they want to avoid and they've they've come out and said like we actually need unemployment for uh, wage growth to stop i'm sorry going higher (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. they 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 explicitly say like we are fine with unemployment being higher so the the fed it's it's kind of like the fascinating it's like a seesaw in a way the fed has a dual mandate it wants to uh, keep unemployment from being too high, but at the same time, it wants to keep inflation from being too high. But as inflation goes up, then technically, like the labor market is doing well too. So you got the wage growth going up as well too. So like labor market's going down as inflation goes up, but they want to mm. correct that. And the way you do that is with a recession, which no one wants. So, it's interesting because it's emotionless, right? It's all a numbers thing to to them, right? Yeah. That's how they have mm-hmm. to look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and they say things like there will be economic pain instead of saying like there's going to be layoffs because like right. if the Fed chair came in like there's going to be layoffs, we we want people to be unemployed. You politically can't say that. So, and I don't think you can say recession now, anyways. Even though that's like a whole thing on. We didn't have a recession this year. I have a whole post on it. It's fascinating. But you can't be come out and be like, we want unemployment and we want recession so that inflation will stop going up. So they the use all the would words. Revolt. The people yeah, would revolt. Yeah, people would be pissed. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd be mad. Like, what? But that's what they say is like, we need unemployment to stop going down. It's a 3.7%. We need wage growth to stop being strong. And they're just like, labor market is too hot. We have to raise interest rates, which will kill demand, which will increase unemployment, and then we will lower rates after that. So that's kind of why you have the yield curve, which we're talking about, which is just if you're if you're looking at a graph, the yield is on your your x-axis going up. Do I have that right? X-axis going up, and then your y is just the timeline. So short-term interest rates are higher right now because the Fed's like we're going to keep them high and. We're going to stop inflation and then we're going to cut them. So that's what an inverted yield curve effectively looks like. I um, love a good inverted yield curve. And I have a whole article on the inverted <laughs> yield curve too. I'll put that in the show notes. It's a very interesting <laughs> thing, I think, to just be cognizant of because once again, you'll see like the headlines and the articles that'd be like inverted yield curve, recession is imminent. It's only a matter of time, even though we had an inverted yield curve in 2019. And technically, we had a recession, but that was because of COVID, and not really of anything else. So, a uh, little little pro tip for you. But what I wanted to close with, unless you had any questions, no. 
is just like, okay, so the Fed is going to be data dependent on their interest rate rate hikes going forward. So like, where is employment? Where is wage growth? Let's put some numbers behind this. So every month on the first Friday, smart calendars, first Friday in India, first Friday is great for art, but for finance, it's great because we get the jobs report. And jobs report last week came in above expectations. So the market was expecting roughly 200,000 jobs being created. There were 263,000 jobs being created, which isn't like a huge uh, disparity. But the big thing was that hourly earnings are continuing to grow really fast. They grew at 0.6%. And, and candidly, you need that a little bit lower in the Fed's mind to stymie inflation. So strong labor report. And that kind of goes into, well, that's good news. But that's bad news because then the Fed's going to keep uh, hiking rates. So we're in this, well, that's good. But, oh, no, that's bad because like the Fed's going to continue to raise rates and then increases the the recession probabilities. I'm, I'm like trying to wrap my head around this. Like I've never spent a lot of time thinking about it. But like as we're talking through it and as I'm hearing you say this, it, it's like I'm, I'm having a hard time connecting the two and that like this wage growth and hourly mm-hmm. pay is growing, right? Which sounds yeah. like a good thing. Yeah. But it, it kind of seems like it's it's chasing inflation, right? So as money Feeds essentially is worth worth less, right? You got to yeah. pay more people, or yeah. you got to pay people more. But <laughs> it's it seems very like counterintuitive in a way. Yeah, and that's why when people hear good news is bad news, they kind of go, "What?" I'm like, "Well, that's good news." Is like things are going like really well in the labor market. Like people are getting raises. Unemployment's really low. Um, if your job openings are at a historic highs, so there's 10 million, do- uh, there's 10 million job openings right now. And if you wanted to go get out a, and, and get a job right now and get a raise, fantastic time for that. But it's also bad because that's what the Fed looks at and they go, things are too hot. Inflation's too hot. We got to keep raising rates in a way. And two things that are not really going to help the trend is there's something called labor force participation. So that's effectively how many people are of working age and how many people of those actually have jobs. So it's just a simple kind of division. And before COVID, we were just below 63.5%. So of the available people who could work, 63.5% are working. And as of right now, during COVID in 2020, it dropped down to 61.5. And now it's climbed back up to 62.5. And this is in the show notes. And it's recently started falling again. So that means we have a really tight labor market. So there's less people willing to go work. And all those kind of people saying that, well, you know, it's like welfare checks, people being lazy, not wanting to go to work isn't really bearing fruit over the long term, in my opinion, because like people are continuing to not go to work and not, not go to work, not seek work. And it's just early retirements. Uh, it has been a major function of that so far. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, do you think that, um, so like I'm just coming from a completely non scientific, non fact, like based opinion here, but. Um, do you think that that trend is going to continue or is it going to correct, right? Like I think during the pandemic, people realized that there's a lot of jobs out there that they don't want to be doing anymore, right? Um, so they're continuing not to want to do them. And 
I've seen that myself just in in personal experience. And, you know, I'll use restaurants as a perfect example of just like the, the service level is is different, right? Like people have had to adjust hours that they're open because they don't have people willing to do that type of work, right? They just don't want to do it. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. Uh, but do you think that's something that's going to correct or is that trend going to continue into the future? It's something that I'm noodling on. I don't, I'm not sure if I have a strong opinion yet. I have like a half written post on it. And part of me thinks unless we have like a 2008 recession, like a deep recession where the labor and employer dynamics flip, I don't really see this changing in the short term. You know, I think there's just like too much momentum around employers can't find labor and there's a balance between that. But at the same time, I don't see people going back to these jobs that they left unless they have to. So like, unless we have a 2008 recession, I I just don't see people going back. I think maybe what does change a little bit is, is the hybrid working model. It it seems like, cause me and you are talking from home right now. And uh, we both, I work from home maybe like 40% of the time and you're fully at home. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, does that dynamic change? I think I think that has more ability to change than people wanting to go back unless they have to. Right. So that's that's the take I'm noodling on. Yeah, and I read a really interesting article. I didn't read the whole thing, maybe just half of it, maybe just a paragraph, maybe just the headline, who knows. Uh, but it was just about how difficult it is. Um, now employers are pulling back on on remote work and like wanting people to be back in the office and how difficult it it has been to try to find those jobs where at a point in time they were just like completely abundant and now those jobs are drying up, right? So the people that are willing to go back to work but only under certain new circumstances aren't finding those jobs that they want. It'll be, I think think that's like the big thing that I think about too. It's just like the demographic change of, I don't think there's... For me, I like going to the office sometimes, but also like I go into the office to do specific things. And I think that's my personal bias showing is, and that's where I always get to try and set that aside for like, well, what do you think like will happen in the future? And I'm just, I don't have like a strong, cause like, I'm just like, why would I go into the office unless there's like a specific thing I need to do? Like paint team- something? <laughs> I, well, who prints things anymore? I don't, I don't know. Uh, like PDF it. Like, I, I never want to print anything ever again. You know. Um, so that's why I'm kind of noodling on myself too. Like I, I find myself less productive in the office when I'm just there, not yeah. accomplishing specific things. Understandable. So, and as always, we're open to feedback. So we would love to hear your opinion on the future of of the workforce what your plans are there's probably a lot of millennials on here and will you want to go back to the office full-time i'm sitting here with my little kitty cat in my lap it's gonna be hard to go back full-time i don't know what do you think stella yeah i'm still in my workout clothes so nice i don't mind it uh we have to figure out a way to put your footnotes into the pot like i don't know how we integrate the footnotes into the podcast but it's probably my favorite part of what you put out in your <laughs> <laughs> in your newsletters oh. is uh, I, I have to like mark those in my brain and be like, okay, 
this was funny. What is he going to say at the bottom? So we got to figure out a way to do that. I don't know. Yeah, how to, yeah. So we'll for everyone who doesn't know, the the uh, the podcast is is a riff on the weekly newsletter I do, and I try to keep the newsletter pretty unbiased in a way. And I use the footnotes to tell jokes and insert my editorial opinion. So if you're ever curious what I have to say, always click on the little footnote. So that that's probably a good place to, to end. So go subscribe to the newsletter if you don't read that. Read the footnotes. If you think it's funny, tell your friends, send it to them. I'd greatly appreciate it. And tell us what you think about the future of work. Bye.